Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Spasportation Book Club, my podcast where I take a positive look at the nasty and the extreme. Within the podcast format, I do it with a guest from the extreme horror and splatterpunk community. Uh, this week I have Harrison Phillips with me to talk about Lucas Mangum and Wesley Self-Hearts, The Final Gates. Uh, so yeah, definitely looking forward to this one and welcome to the show Harrison. Thank you very much, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, for any of you new to the show, just to let you know what it's all about, uh, each week I have a guest on from the Splatterpunk and Extreme Horror community uh, to talk about a book that we both enjoy. It can be anything as long as it's not one of, if it's an author on the show, as long as it's not one of their books, and as long as it's not some massive book, because I just don't have time to read all of those. Other than that, it's pretty much fair game for anything that you enjoy. Um so yeah, before we kind of delve too much into the book this week, I'm going to give Harrison a little bit of an opportunity to introduce himself first, let you know about his awesome work, uh, his amazing shorts as well on Godless, and he can steer you in the right direction for what to pick up. Uh, so yeah, take it away, Harrison. Okay, well, hello everybody. My name is Harrison Phillips. I'm the author of such literary classics as Pieces of Death, Shotgun None, and Night of the Freaks. Um, all of my work is available on Amazon in ebook and paperback format. I also have a handful of novellas available on Godless. Um, my next book, by the time this podcast go out, goes out, my next book will have been released, which is a slasher called Field Trip. That's being published by DT Publishing, um, and that will be available on godless and amazon so that's definitely one to go and check out um and yeah other than that i've got a couple of shorts coming up in some anthologies and then i'm working on a bunch of other stuff that hopefully is going to be out before the end of this year so yeah there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there to, to go and take a look at awesome i read um shotgun nun at the start of this month um yeah absolutely yeah. loved it definitely my sort of thing Glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. There is a sequel to that. Uh, if you want to read that, that's um, that's yeah, out there. Shotgun Nun Volume Two: The Wrath of I, God. I think so, someone yeah. recommended me the sequel, and I was like, "Oh shit, I haven't read the first yet." So I was like, "Better get on that." Oh right, okay, yeah, but yeah. The sequel. Um, lots of people like the, uh, the the original, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I was quite happy with it. the The sequel is probably. It goes in a bit more of a splatterbunk sort of direction. It's still the same sort of stuff. It's still Sister Eloise running around with a shotgun, just <laughs> tossing the bad guys. But there's um, it's sort of it starts as a thing where she's she started um, looking for all these bad guys, and she ends up finding like um, like human trafficking rings and people making nice. snuff and, and that kind <laughs> of stuff. So it kind of I drove it more in a splatterbunk sort of direction then. So it's it's probably more more gory, but again, it's just it's the same sort of thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As long as there's some exploitation and non-exploitation in there, I'm all good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was going for as I wrote it. It was kind of, in my mind, looking at films, it was supposed to be a cross between something like Killer Nine and it was that sort of I spit on your grave type of revenge. Mm. Um, a lot of people also, which I hadn't thought about at the time, but I suppose it is very much like Death Wish, something like yeah. that. So someone just running around with with heavy artillery, just uh, taking revenge for all the bad stuff that's happened. 
to me yeah. and to others. So can't go wrong with any of those film references. So <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think I've got half of them behind me somewhere. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, before we get on to the um, final gate, um, they also ask a guest each week if they want to tell a sixty-second or under story. Um, so I believe you have one, yeah, Harrison. I sure do, yeah. Excellent. So yeah, if you want to share with everyone your awesome little sixty-second or under story, okay, I'll uh, I'll do my best. Yeah. Um, I'll probably put together like a super cut at the end of everyone doing it. So feel free to put on a performance as well. But that's what I'm thinking. I'll, I'll try, but uh, I'm making no promises. So, okay, here we go. Now, my story is called Sucked Off. Damien had never been sucked off like this before. Every other blowjob he'd ever received had been mediocre at best. Most girls didn't seem to know how to get their fucking teeth out of the way. God forbid you try to force it deeper into their throat. With most girls, that was a surefire way to end up with a lap full of vomit. And then there was all the crying and the complaints of, I can't breathe. Of course you can't breathe with a cock in your throat. Not that Damien knew this on experience, of course, but he assumed that would be the case. So no, this blowy was nothing like anything he'd ever experienced before. There was no crying, no moaning, no puking, just pure pleasure start to finish. And what a finish it was. This was quite simply the strongest orgasm Damien had ever had. His balls tightened as he released what seemed like an endless torrent of jism directly into the belly of the vacuum cleaner. But then he didn't stop. The machine wouldn't let go. It was as if it wanted more, desperately trying to suck him dry. And no matter how hard Damien tugged at the hose, he couldn't remove it. The power of the suction was just too great. The pleasure he'd felt soon turned to agonising pain as his testicles imploded, folding inside out, dragged out of his scrotum and along the length of his urethra. Blood began to splatter on the inside of the dirt container, visible through the plastic. Damien tipped his head back and screamed in anguish as the meat of his glands tore free from his body, drawn along the tube and into the cyclone of the vacuum, where it was promptly liquefied. As Damien lay there on the living room floor, staring up at the ceiling, his insides being pulled out through the gaping wound where his shaft once existed, he couldn't help but think that, despite the fact that this was the best, best blowjob he'd ever received in the end, it probably hadn't been worth it. Awesome, dude. I like yeah. the probably as well. Like he's still thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I'll try it again another time uh, yeah. if he survives. But if yeah. he survives, yeah. if he can reattach it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. Right, thank that you. Awesome. Um. So yeah. Um. Before we get into the book, then, uh, just a little bit of a spoiler warning: we will probably be covering quite a lot of spoilers. Uh, it's the only way to talk about the book properly. So anyone who hasn't read it before and doesn't want to know how it all goes, quickly give it a read first. Uh, if not, then you just have to power through the spoilers. But this book's thoroughly enjoyable either way. So, um, do you want to kind of give a basic synopsis, or should I do it? Um, no, you go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, you you carry yeah. on. Yeah. All right. I'll summarise this one. Yeah. No, <laughs> So yeah, The Final Gate um, by Lucas Mangum and Wesley Southard is basically about this um, orphanage that the kids keep going missing under kind of mysterious circumstances. Um, and the orphanage are kind of looking like they're covering it up. And there's a few different people, including a PI and the brother of one of the kids there and a family of one of the girls there. And they're basically trying to work out what the fuck is going on in this orphanage as all is not what it seems, especially when things start getting 
trippy and bloody and ghosts and shit start appearing. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the basic setup, would you say? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So that's, cool. that's about the basics, yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, as as we know, as others may not know, um, especially if they, might, if they haven't read the book, but it is very much a love letter to the works of Lucio Fulci. Uh, and there is no hiding it. They're not, they're not <laughs> trying to, to, to hide that behind some sort of context that this is their, their own work. It's obviously, it's not... Uh, a rip-off, it's almost um, a spiritual successor to his films. It's like, it's a continuation, particularly of the, the Gates of Hell trilogy, um, to some extent, because um, Fulci's films, they all have, or certainly a block of those films have a very similar theme, and, and it's essentially, it's a continuation of that theme that they've tried to, to go with on that. Yeah, I mean, the whole presentation is of an Italian film from the late 70s, early 80s. Like, they've got the multiple titles for the film. They've got, like, the cold open before it goes into, kind of, the credits. There's a fade out to black at the end with a little tag afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Ryan's forward, uh, Ryan Harden's forward beforehand is, like, an essay on Italian cinema. Like, like you said, they're definitely not trying to hide it. Yeah, so, um, I've been, I've got... Uh, this paperback version, the old version. I don't know. Um, did you read the audio? Uh, the the ebook. Yeah, I got the ebook. So did you pick that up um, recently? Yeah, I had the brand new cover on it. Just yeah. re-released it with the new cover. Yeah. Um, which is is a cool cover. It's got a nice piece of artwork on it, and it's um, it's got the the font, the yellow font of the uh, City of the Living Dead. But yeah, I think it was uh, was it Psychopocalypse, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This one's in Psychopocalypse as well. Um, yeah. So it's still the same publisher. They've just redone the cover. It's like a second edition, if you like. So yeah. Um, but yeah, the book is. Um, it has the like you say the Italian subtitles in it and everything. Um, the the there's no chapters as you'll obviously have noticed, mm -hmm. but it's all yeah. the chapter breaks. <laughs> have all got this sort of this symbol. I don't know if anyone can see that on the on the video. But it's got symbol between it, which is very sort of. Fulci-esque sort of symbol, kind of like what's on the, the Book of Iban in um, in the Beyond. So it's all very much set up like that. Um, the, when I reread for this podcast, I actually did the audio book, um, mm -hmm. which was uh, which was a, an experience itself because again, all the um, all the Italian is in there. All the titles are read out in Italian and everything. Uh, However, because there's no chapters, there there obviously, it, as with all audiobooks, there's there is a, a sort of pause, if you like, of, of silence between each break. Um, but if you go into the chapter list on the actual audiobook itself and flick through, they're all written in Italian as well oh, really? um, for the different scenes and everything, and the the epilogue and the the prologue are all in Italian. Um, and also, the, in the audiobook, there's also some music during the credits, the opening credits mm -hmm. and the end credits. They're obviously it's original music, but it's um it's very much um supposed to sound like the work of, of Fabio Fritzi, who did the the work in in the Beyond. So yeah, that was a, and, and I mean that was it's narrated by Sean Dreger. I was going to say it was that Sean was it? Apocalypse. Yeah. Um and yeah, it was it's very very good, very worth a listen. Um, I'm glad I've done the the paperback. I mean, I read the book probably over a year ago now, but it was so I needed to catch up and. Mm -hmm. um, the audio book was uh, it was definitely worthwhile. Listen, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't really um, listen to audiobooks. It's not really my thing. But when I hear of the ones that have got like those extra sort of bits in them, like the music and all that, and Sean's amazing at them, like that always makes me want to like at least kind of hear a couple of chapters sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, I never listened to audiobooks, but it was a way to try and get some some more reading done, if you like. Yeah. Um, and there was a time where I, I actually I was running at the time. I was doing a lot of running. My, my knees are a bit dodgy, so I'm not running so much anymore. But um, <laughs> at the time, I was doing a lot of running, and I was just finding myself getting bored listening to music, listening to the same music over and over again. So it was like, okay, I'll try something different. So I started getting some audio books. Um, I've been listening to more indie stuff as well, but I kind of used that as a way to get through some of the bigger books that I've been missing out, the more yeah. traditionally published stuff. Um, so I think all of um, Stephen Graham Jones's books and Grady Hendrix books, that kind of thing, I've been doing the audio books of them just because they're 10 hours plus. So it's a long sort of commitment to make. But when I'm out either running or, or walking the dog a lot and things like that, it's the perfect time to listen to them. Um, so I don't have to sit down for 10 hours straight. Because obviously <laughs> yeah. in that time, I could probably get through three or four or more indie yeah. novels, just novels, really whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, but but this was a this was a very good um, audio book to listen to the final game. I'll have to remember that if I ever take up running again. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> certainly it's helped. It definitely helped. The, like the uh, boredom, I don't know because I could listen to anything, but I didn't. I was I'd make a playlist of whatever music I wanted, and that would be the same thing I'd listen to over and over again. And I just and it's the same music I've been listening to for the past twenty years, and it's just. Because yeah. new music just doesn't sort no, of do it for me, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so so getting these audiobooks, obviously they're the first time I've listened to to them, so I'm quite uh, I'm I'm interested. I'm I'm um, sort of I'm I'm actually listening to it, and it kind of takes your mind off the running or whatever else it is you're doing at the time. So, yeah, I do enjoy audiobooks now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, so yeah, the final gate. Then uh, we'll jump around as much as you like with it, but. Let's see what we cover. Um, okay. Where do you want to start? Should we? Uh... Um, it's up to you, I suppose. Uh, you you can lead. Um, I mean, I did make notes. We could just go through obviously there yeah. in, in story order, if you like. And um, obviously, Any you know, there are numerous characters, and it kind of jumps mm. around perspectives sometimes. Um, again, kind of like a lot of Fortune's films, especially something like. City of the Living Dead, which is, is a big influence on this book as well. Um, those films just sort of flit around from person to person, and sometimes you don't quite understand what the the logic is in the order of going from one scene to the other. Obviously, it is in it's not um, the narrative is in order, if you like. It doesn't jump backwards and forwards through time. It's just it jumps from sort of one group of people to the other quite a lot. And Yeah, I was very impressed with how much they kept to that because kind of, you know, an Italian film, like in book format, you're like, oh my God, this could be a nightmare because, you know, these films are amazing, but like narratively, they just do what the hell they want. Like yeah, yeah. there's no, you know, solid three-act structure, hero's journey, like none of that. It's just like, where do we want to go now? Who do we want to see now? And yeah, I thought the exactly. book done really well with that. Yeah, and and I suppose it's great. Some of the times I'm I was looking at it, I'm thinking, 
I, if this was me, I probably wouldn't have written it like that. But maybe that's a, a fear of, of not wanting to, uh, you know, swerve too far from what is mm. normally expected. So just for example, you've got the character of, of Dan, the investigator, yeah. the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> disappears who, halfway through the book. Yeah, he just disappears. And he doesn't <laughs> turn up until the epilogue. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's it. And it was just like, which is fine. And it's, it's great. And as a character, um, obviously, he's a bit of a, an a, a, a obnoxious twat at the start. Um, but, you know, he does his bit to try and help. But then he's still an ob- obnoxious twat in the end. And it's just like, uh, yeah, but then he's just gone. And you're expecting him, you know, I was expecting him after he's been to the orphanage the first time. He's come away, mm-hmm. he hasn't found anything. He's going to go back and he's going to get killed. But that doesn't happen. He's just, he yeah. just disappears. Uh, and then just turns up again at the end. So it was very ballsy, I thought, because yeah, any other book that you're writing, you know, I've read enough of Lucas's work. I know he's an absolute stunning writer, and this is the second book I've read of Wesley's, and they've both been great. Yeah. That character would be back, you know, part of the third act. But yeah. watching the Italian films, like no, that character wouldn't be back, and they went, they went with that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I dare say, I mean, <laughs> you read it and you think. Obviously, because it's it's a very well well presented book, well edited. It's obviously very intentional, but it almost looks things like did they forget about him? And if he <laughs> hadn't appeared there in the epilogue, and they had just forgotten about him, I mean that sort of thing does happen in Italian movies as well. People do just disappear and they don't come back. So you know, it might have been a nice nod to to just not have him turn up again. It's just he has just disappeared, and you can <laughs> make up in your own mind what happened to him. It's entirely up to you. But I mean, he could yeah. well be. Could, might well be off living his best life. He's quite happy, happily ever after. But yeah. as it happens, we see him in the epilogue, and <laughs> he, he doesn't make it, as we know. So, in <laughs> in a nice nod to um, the beyond as well. In his in his no, death. he, he could have made it as well. He just needed to basically keep his dick in his pants. <laughs> he needed to not go back yeah, for the girl. Much, yeah. He would have been fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, uh, he was a bit of a. Well, like I say, he's quite an obnoxious character. Obviously, he was meant to be just in in his dialogue. And again, yeah. he's a, he's a character. It's another good thing about audio books as well, because I'm I I like to think I've got quite a vivid imagination. So when I'm reading, I'm quite a slow reader because I like to take everything in and I like to try and imagine it. And then it they do tend books in general tend to play out in my head like a film. And this yeah. one was perfect because obviously I had this idea in my mind that they're attempting a Lucia Fulci film, so. That's how it played out, and it worked perfectly. Um, but yeah, I can't even remember where I was going to go with that. Then, to be honest, um, <laughs> it's um, very but, cinematic, though, isn't it? The whole book, like it's just, it's got that. Like you said, you can watch it as a film as you read it. Like there's not a single book in this book, and I don't mean this in a bad way. There's not a single book that you kind of felt like you were just reading a book. Like the whole thing felt like you were reading a movie, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one one part that I sort of noticed that um, that kind of was more, uh, it played out in my head more visually than it was written on the page was Brandon's death. Um, mm. So the main main character, if you like, is our is our protagonist at the start. He's looking for his brother, and obviously he's broken into the orphanage, mm. um, and basically he's blinded in a very Fulci-esque sort of way (laughs) and then he's killed by obviously because we're in his point of view he's blind he can't see anything so 
we as the reader also can't see anything, but we hear this voice come up to him saying, hello, big brother, or whatever <laughs> it was it says. And obviously, we know this is his little brother that he's who we know has already been killed in the in the prologue. Uh, yeah. So we know this is essentially a zombie child, his little brother who's come to come to take him out. Um, and then rips out his tongue. Um, again, it's a very faulty sort of thing to, to do. And in my mind, I mean, it's written, obviously, it explains that his tongue is written out and that he's blind and he hears his brother. But in my mind, I'm watching it like a faulty film. So it's all done in extreme close-up and there's a very graphic yeah. scene of, of the child reaching into his mouth, probably a, a prosthetic head, very <laughs> and it's a bad special effect. It doesn't even look realistic, kind of like I'm thinking like the uh, the spiders in the beyond when they rip out the man's so tongue, actually. Good, that scene. Oh, I know. <laughs> the thing is, though, I mean, obviously they have the the real tarantulas in that scene that are crawling towards, which they've mm. obviously added them to think, okay, well, this is going to fool the audience. They're going to see these real ones and they're going to think all the others are real. To my mind, it actually just accentuates the fact that those other ones aren't real. <laughs> uh, but that's absolutely fine. That's part of why I love these films. And, you uh, know, you get those It's the sound there. in that scene for me. The sound the spiders make yeah. the shit out of me. Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very good scene. It's one of those scenes that everyone remembers it from the beyond because it's yeah. just, it's so out of left field. It's just, it's... <laughs> it makes no you know, sense within the story. It's not part of the narrative. It's no, just an it's awesome not. Obviously, scene. He's, he's there. <laughs> he's at the library, isn't he? He's getting the blueprints for the house. Yeah, for the house, And he yeah. finds there's something in the basement. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> he falls off the ladder and a bunch of spiders come and eat his face. And it's just like, <laughs> okay, brilliant. Yep. Absolutely brilliant. But that's how I see that scene happening because in that it's very close up it's extreme close up of like what you can clearly see isn't a real mouth and isn't a real spider but the way it pulls his tongue out and there's so much blood and everything that's how i would imagine that scene playing yeah. out in in the final gate and um, like i say it's not quite written that way on the page just because when the character's pov and he's blind so he can't see this he can't see what i'm seeing but but it's still it's very very good do you think um kind of going off of that do you think that you have to have kind of seen some of these movies to really kind of capture this book or do you think um, it's a book that you could read just kind of straight and still really enjoy it i think you could certainly just read it uh, but i think it helps to understand what sort of what lucio Fulci sort of stands for and just italian cinema in general like i say this this book again coming back to danny just disappears um mm. and even as a new reader i suppose if you've not watched these films maybe you would think where did he go and then <laughs> when the epilogue comes around and he's back you just think what was that all about um yeah. and even in myself like i say if i was writing it i don't think i'd have written it that way um again it's not a bad thing it's just not that i, I, I try at the moment to be, be very traditional in what in my narratives and things like that um yeah. So I can even see that big half a book sort of time jump when you haven't seen this character. Um, but looking at it from a perspective of Italian cinema, it works just fine. So I think it certainly helps. Um, yeah, I think it helps. Because the other big character for that is Claudio, right? Like Claudio comes into the book three quarters of the way through. Yeah. There's no setup beforehand, nothing after... He just suddenly turns up like this Mordecai character, this gatekeeper who knows everything, 
yeah and again very very like 70s italian cinema it's like yeah where yeah. the fuck was this guy where did he come from like, who is he well, you get a bit of a backstory which is very yeah. cool but it's such a weird interlude late in the book where again uh, it's also it very is. italian cinema like yeah yeah obviously they need someone to to solve the issue to resolve the plot for them otherwise this it could have gone well essentially the, the world would have ended wouldn't it if, uh, if claudia hadn't come along so yeah. he's finally <laughs> successful this is this is where you get this big tie into Fulci's works um, mm. is through Claudio, who essentially has has failed to stop the events of all Fulci's other films. Yeah. Um, so he's this guy, he's always he always turns up too late, is what he says. That's how he describes himself. So um, Yeah, I was thinking of that opening scene in the beyond, like when Claudio turned up, like that made me think he was there or something. Like... Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and just turns up a bit too late just to, yeah. to stop it, yeah. Um, or, I don't know, obviously, Claudio is is this main tie-in to Fulci's works. So, you know, he goes through, I made a note on this just so, uh, so I wouldn't miss any of it. <laughs> but obviously he, um, that's, that's where we get into this whole Gates of Hell sort of. Yeah. I say it's the trilogy. They were focusing on the the Gates of Hell concept. The Gates of Hell trilogy by Fulci obviously isn't uh, uh, isn't a narrative trilogy. It's three separate films that are sort of tied together. Um, it includes House uh, House by the Cemetery, which is I love that film. That was the first one I watched of his. Yeah, you haven't watched it. No, it was the first one I watched of his. It was the first one you watched. Yeah, yeah I, I, I really enjoy that film. Um, mm-hmm. But conceptually, or, or yeah, it, it is. A lot different to the beyond um in fact this this book um and in fact what claudio starts talking about in in his life experience really references zombie flesh eaters uh city mm. of the living dead and um and the beyond and then it ignores house by the cemetery which <laughs> i was thinking about it the i suppose the tie to house by the cemetery is this evil in the basement um, yeah. where they're not supposed to go in the basement and that kind of thing and this is where evil lives which is is house by the cemetery but house by the cemetery doesn't have this gates of hell sort of concept that that the others do but um claudio he obviously he talks about various gates he's seen in dunwich which is city of the living dead he talks about new orleans which is the beyond he talks yeah. about um this island in the Antilles, which is zombie flesh eaters. Um, and then there was another one. It's a film that I haven't actually seen. They mentioned Sicily. And I had to look into it and see which film it was they were referring to. And I think they're referring to um, a film called uh, Demonia, um, which oh, yeah. is about nuns. Um, no, I, I I'm did not sure I've seen that. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. But um, yeah. apparently it's a film that Lucio Fulci himself uh, disowned, basically. <laughs> he wasn't happy with it. Um, and if if Fulci wasn't happy with it, then it must have been bad because <laughs> these films, I mean, as great as they are, you know, the effects and everything, they're very much of a time. I think he, I think it was 1991 or something like that. So it's it's so getting on a bit as well. Yeah, so it's quite late, late Fulci. Um, obviously, then they also talk about a time where um zombies invaded new york and they're in 1979 which is when zombie flesh eaters was released yeah. and they took over a radio station so this is that 
very end section of zombie flesh eaters um, and there's it, they talk about these conspiracy theorists online talking about it um, and no one can sort of really remember it happening so we don't know what happened at the end of zombie flesh eaters you see the zombies walking across the bridge into new york city and that's where the film ends and it kind of this doesn't give you any clarification as to what actually <laughs> happened after that but presumably something happened where this gate was closed and the zombies were vanquished or whatever um and apparently claudio was was of no use then either but <laughs> he finally he finally does his final gate yeah, he finally fair. redeemed himself yeah finally <laughs> so, um i mean i did write down here about claudio as well i i can only assume that that is his name is a reference to um claudio simonetti of, of goblin who scored a lot of Dario Argento's works, um, right. Suspiria and Tenebrae and that kind of thing. They've got a lot of them um, in this book. It's, it's a nice little Easter eggs to see that they've got this Claudio. Um, I think when the main character, Gillian, is talking to Claudio, they go to um, a diner called McColl's um, or McColl's Coffee House or something like that. I can't quite remember what it was, but that is um, a reference to Catriona McColl, who starred in the Gates of Hell trilogy. Um, and they've got lots of these little um, Easter eggs where they they just mention someone's name and that kind of thing. There's a, in fact, there's a Mr. Fritzy who comes to the um, orphanage to play some music for the kids. So that is uh, a reference to Fabio Fritzy, who did the score for a lot of uh, he did Zombie Flesh Eaters and Beyond and, and films like that. Which one was the um, is Smoke the Dog? Like one of those Dario Gente ones was. Fucking dog Adam in the middle of the park, didn't they? Was that Suspiria? Yes, that's, that's Suspiria. That's Suspiria. Yeah, yeah. the blind man, the the uh, I think he's the piano player in Suspiria. He gets yeah, blind, he gets killed by his dog. Because they uh, describe Smoke as being quite passive, but he's got an aggressive past and can turn at any second. It just reminds yeah, me. Yeah, because they, they refer to him as a wolf dog, and I don't know if that is a an American thing or whatever. Where it's, I've, I'm sure I've heard it before. Dogs that are sort of half wolf, half half dog, if you like. I guess they kind yeah. of. Alsatian German Shepherd type dog, but yeah, I can imagine. Obviously, you wouldn't keep a wolf as a pet. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. There's a dog, yeah, right. Can hear your dog. Yeah. <laughs> They've got some German Shepherds over there. Hopefully, one of them's not going to come and rip my throat out. But yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I did think. I think when I first read this book, actually, I did make reference that um, I thought it was also felt a bit like Suspiria as well. Which obviously yeah. isn't a portrait film, but there was this idea that see Suspiria is this ballet school um where the, the coven of witches are running it. Um and we don't know. I mean it's more obvious in that film that these are witches and they're all sort of they're all in on it, if you like. Whereas in this we don't know quite who's running the orphanage and who's no, I, I really like that part of it. The fact that you just didn't second. quite. Just <laughs> I like that you didn't Dogs really know. Um, you didn't know who was in on it, right? Like you assume Kurt's in on it for most of the book, because yeah. you kind of think he has to be in on it because he's the guy running the place. But yeah, so that's that. That's slightly unusual. Again, whether it was intentional to try and um, be like like Italian movies, we don't quite know what's 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 going on with people but in when kurt i think when we first meet kurt he's fixing a sink um because yeah. robert, I think they, like robert yeah the janitor disappeared 
Yeah, he's disappeared. So we know what's happened to him because he's in the, the prologue. But yeah. Kurt, the way Kurt speaks to Myra, it's obviously it's Kurt's POV, so we only know what he's thinking. We don't know what Myra's thinking. This conversation they have, Kurt doesn't seem to know what's happened to Robert. Um, and at the same, but at the same time, he doesn't seem to notice that the kids are disappearing as well. <laughs> no. So it's like that's that makes you think he must be in on it. But yeah. Myra doesn't know either, and it's just like sort of what is going on and, and yeah, yeah it's only later in the book when he kind of starts looking through the list of the kids that have been adopted and he's like wait there i didn't sign off on any of this like yeah, exactly. what's going on like yeah you're like oh shit is kurt not involved like i assumed he was the ringleader yeah exactly um but i suppose again so another tie to suspiria we you hear hear about the owner of the orphanage this dick mm. never meet dick and i assumed he was going to be like um in Suspiria, you've got Helena Marcos, who's the the leader of the the coven. I assume that Dick was going to turn up at the at, towards the end, and he's going to be this big bad evil who's been orchestrating it all. But obviously, when we finally meet him, he's dead in a pile of worms. <laughs> yeah. so, um, that seems disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did. I like that imagery of the, all the worms and everything. Just them opening the door and the worms just piling out because it's yeah, just tons of worms. <laughs> carpet of worms. I think it says it's uh yeah, it's a pretty, pretty horrible sort of piece of imagery. But yeah, very, very much like that sort of thing. It's it's yeah. one of those things that's quite. It's only worms; they're not going to kill you, but it's just a bit gross. Too many of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I do like that. Again, it's the sort of thing that you can you can picture Fulci having that kind of idea where just again, it doesn't quite make any sense. Like, why would there be a load of worms? It's a decomposing body, and they're not refined. I, worms like earthworms like big slime mm. worms not maggots you think if this body's decomposing there's going to be a load of maggots and flies and that kind of thing but the way it's described as worms um, yeah. yeah it doesn't and then they're just like trudging through it to try and find yeah, evidence exactly. I mean, I imagine <laughs> being almost like a knee-deep pile of worms that they've got to yeah. scoop out the way to get through but uh, <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah, it's quite a gross kind of thing it's not it's not Again, it's not one of those violent things. It's not it's not gory. It's just it's a bit icky, if you like. Uh, I thought the interesting thing with Kurt was that whole chapter with him and a... Um, I say chapter, there are no chapters, but that whole scene with him and Annie's parents, uh, Annie's grandparents. Yeah. Which yeah. you're kind of like, it paints Kurt as the bad guy while he's also telling um, the truth. And it's, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how that's the character ends up unfolding. Yeah. Yeah, at the so, time, you're like, this scene plays really weird. But later on, you're like, okay, it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, that's it. So is he, at that point, is he a bad guy? He certainly, he's not a nice bloke by any stretch. But other than the way he talks to them, it is fine. Especially at the start, he's sort of taking offence at them, um, accusing his orphanage of essentially being bad and that kind of yeah. thing. But then it's kind they of... They were onto something he, there, but... <laughs> Yeah, but then he starts rubbing their their nose in about the fact that oh, I'm going to get your granddaughter adopted and you're never going to see her again. Yeah. You're, you're all these criminal scumbags and all this like, or your son's a criminal scumbag, and it's and it was just like he's, <laughs> he doesn't strike me as actually a very nice person to be honest. So, but but yeah. it very much makes you think makes you think this guy is a bad guy. He's not he's mm-hmm. not going to be one of the good guys in the end. Um, but I suppose at the end he's just kind of oblivious and he's just he's just a man at the end of the day so 
Yeah, he's, it's just he's a good kind job, of bad. He's just he is who he's he is. Doing his job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I thought it was a clever scene because, yeah, like I said, like, you know, part of what he's saying is honest and it fits, but the way he's saying it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, he's he just comes off as a bit of a, a bit of an arrogant sort of bit of mm. a prick, really. But um, yeah, he's it is what it is. He's he's yeah, he's just just a man just getting on with his job, just doing what he's got to do. Uh, but he very much paints him as as a villain. Um, yeah. So yeah, but then the whole thing with Annie's grandparents and her dad, and uh, it's obviously they're not good people either. No. Um, that scene with them. I say scene, it's several scenes. It's quite a long piece of the book in the middle mm. um, yeah. where they go back and they break in because they're trying to get Annie and they all get killed. And if I had any criticism of this book, it, it is that that bit went on a bit too long for my liking. It was cool. I like the way, especially when um, my, uh, the Kay, Kay the, uh, the grandmother, she gets killed by the pigs and that kind of <laughs> thing. That was that's a great scene. It just all went on a bit bit too long for me when it went scene after scene from one to the other and well, was... that was the other bit about the Kurt bit wasn't it like he diffused it right afterwards because Annie almost immediately says she doesn't want to go with her she certainly didn't want to be with yeah. her dad she didn't particularly like her grandparents either no uh, she said they looked after her as best as they could but her dad was there so she absolutely doesn't want to be there she'd rather be adopted yeah so, yeah so I mean again they're absolutely painted as as bad people who deserve to die um, yeah. So they do. the potential hero of the story then was Brandon. Um, yeah. How shocked were you when he just snuffed it like less than yeah. halfway through the entire book? <laughs> yeah, I, I think again, I feel like he probably died too soon. But I say too soon from a traditional narrative perspective, from an Italian movie perspective, it's absolutely fine. Um, yeah. And obviously for this work book, it absolutely works. Like I say, I probably, if I was writing it, I probably wouldn't have had him go blind. I would have had him see his brother and made it a bigger deal that this was his brother that was zombified coming to eat him and that kind of thing. And I also probably would have had it later in the book just because it would be, that's traditional narrative. But yeah, again, this isn't but his story. Absolutely fine. Yeah, one his story at the end of the day. He thought yeah, it was his yeah, story. Well, he, he thought yeah. he was the hero of the book, but he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd have thought that that obviously not everyone is going to make it in this sort of this sort of story. But you'd have thought that him and Gillian would have been together at the end, and they'd have been yeah. in there in the orphanage at the end when it all kicked off. One or the other of them is probably going to die. But you'd have thought it would be in that final act mm. rather than sort of halfway through the book. Yeah, it was one of the notes I wrote down. This is nobody was safe in this book. Like the little kid yeah. at the beginning, Brandon, the little kid that was being bullied. Like I thought he would be all right, but nope. Like, yeah, Donnie, Dookie Donnie. Yeah, Dookie yeah, he, Donnie. He, he, yeah. yeah, he was a cool character. I think again, he would have been one of those kids that made it out at the end. And um, I mean, I'm surprised that being. I see this isn't really quite splatterpunk. It's not as extreme as as a lot of other books go into. And as this isn't set in an orphanage, you know, I'd expected there to be a lot of kids being ripped apart. And <laughs> obviously kids do die in this book, but it's never overly graphic. Um, if you like, you see, yeah, they get eyes ripped out, they get their brains ripped out, they they these sort of things happen, but it never really dwells on it. It's never really 
done in a nasty way, if you like. No, it's more sort of mean-spirited in the sense that this has happened to him rather than, like, his two pages of his eyes getting gorged out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, um, but yeah, Donnie is, obviously, because it's made, he's quite a big character in the end. Obviously, he's the one Mm. that's being bullied. He's looking after Annie. He he makes the the bullies eat pig shit. (laughs) Eat pig shit. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, so he's... There's quite a lot of development in his character in those first, those early parts of the book. Yeah, I'd say barring Gillian, he's probably got the most development, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly early on. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to say, because even even the character of Annie, obviously we meet her parents and that kind of thing, uh, her grandparents and her dad, but they they get a fair bit of development themselves, but then they're offed pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, And other than that, you don't really hear much. Obviously, Annie survives at the end, but we don't really learn much more about her uh, other than the fact that she was in the orphanage and and that <laughs> she survives so but yeah donnie donnie had a fair bit of um bit of development to him but then again he just sort of dies uh, yeah. halfway through, <laughs> halfway through. <laughs> i really yeah. like that kid i was yeah, yeah. i was hoping he would survive yeah yeah he was a he was a good kid poor kid he had his um pooping problem whatever it was i think they they mentioned he might be Irritable bowel syndrome or something Irritable like bowel that. syndrome, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. And then he gets his, he looks after Annie, he gets his revenge for and that kind of thing. And then he just dies, which is uh, <laughs> a shame, really, but, yeah. Dies, digging up, all sorts of books and these films, these sorts of things just happen, don't they? So, they yeah. do. Um, so, yeah, kind of going towards well, the end of the book, it suddenly becomes from this um, sort of dynamic, um almost satanic kind of feel to it this kind of otherworldly and then it turns into a zombie book for the last final chapter like yeah yeah so again that sort of feels even city of the living dead and the beyond um which obviously were the big influences on influences on this there are these zombies that are yeah, the beyond of, uh, does that as well doesn't it yeah because they're hiding in the um in the mortuary aren't they and then everyone starts yeah, like, getting up and stuff yeah yeah, because so in the beyond, you've got the um, Joe the plumber. He's at the start, early on in the film. He gets his eyeball ripped out. He gets killed in the basement, and he's taken to the mortuary. Mm. Uh, and then there's more zombies there. There's the his wife is the one that gets her face melted with the acid. Um, yeah. His daughter's there. She's the one that gets her head. <laughs> yeah, she goes to see her mum in the mortuary. That's just horrible. Yeah, the fact oh, there's, <laughs> a blood, there's a big puddle of blood coming towards her feet. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. In this yeah. like super clean white room, the rest of the film's been so icky and tactile, yeah. and and then yeah, this mortuary is like the cleanest room you've ever seen with yeah. a pile of blood on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I think they've got the. Um, that's quite a funny part of the film. They've got the uh, the character of uh, Shrike, the the artist from the start, the main sort of bad guy who's drawn the paintings beyond. He's his body. They found his body, so he's mm. there. He's the, the one that's like the really rotten corpse. <laughs> For some reason, they've hooked him up to where I can a machine to check his heart rate and it's just a flat line and it's like he's <laughs> clearly a dead body but yeah, he's not to show the fact that his heart starts beating um yeah. but yeah that always that tickles me in that film but um but yeah so there's always zombies sort of lurking around as there are in the final gates obviously um at the start these kids are already disappearing and the kid um i did write his name down uh brandon's brother bryce Bryce, yeah. Bryce is the, the Brandon's little brother. Um, obviously, he's killed at the start by um, 
I think it's Ali, was one of the kids that had disappeared. Yeah, and it was he, his he friend, wasn't it? My name, I think. Yeah. But, but they, these, these kids have already disappeared and he's hiding under his sheets. And it's these kids that attack him. They're, they're sort of zombified kids that attack him. So there are these zombies that are lurking around the whole time. We don't know where they come from, where they then disappear to. Um, that was another thing that made me sort of think in that opening scene, after Bryce has been killed, you've got Robert, who's the um, the, the janitor. The janitor, yeah. Yeah, he goes to check on him because he hears him screaming. Um, and actually, he's killed by zombies, but someone stabs him in the neck first. And it's kind of, um, uh, that makes sense. Because the zombies in this book aren't, they're sort of like, they're the shambling sort of rotten, poultry type zombies. They're not the type that could handle a knife. So was this right. one, a, was it Myra or Lionel? I think it was Lionel, I would say. Yeah. Quite possibly. But then also, why is it just because he's, they feel he's about to find out their secrets, so they need to to dispatch him before he tells. That was them. one of the um, like the quickest, saddest deaths I think I've ever read. Like Robert was made out to be this such a lovely guy, and then just snuffed it like like half a page later. You're like, oh, he's dead. Okay, well, he seemed yeah. really nice, but yeah, I think uh, clearly he wasn't one of the people who worked in the the office no. and knew what was going on. Clearly, no. not. so um, yeah. He, he, it would have been nice for him to last a bit longer, but then I suppose someone's got to die at the start. Someone's got to die. Everything up, so yeah. yeah. So. But yeah, and then it kind of went into, like I said, at the end of this book, you've got like the zombies, you've got the shotguns, you've got the rifles. The, the house is kind of taken on a life of its own. Demons in the yeah. basement, like full on Italian, like yeah. So that bit in the basement, obviously they're there, and Myra is about to sacrifice Annie, but someone whether it's uh it's Gillian or or claudia someone shoots her and essentially she becomes the final sacrifice uh, if... yeah no i, I think it's claudia isn't it because claudio's kind of bemoans himself and not getting her away from the hole afterwards right okay so but whichever one it was they, they've shut her mm. she's died she's she becomes the final sacrifice and then you've got this demon that comes out of this this door and um, it's in the floor um and what well, i think they cut they call him the gateway demon i think yeah and um, um, there was a, a really nice piece of imagery there that really played in my mind was where um again i believe it was probably jillian who had a poker and she's gone to hit this demon and it's caught <laughs> it and then and it's just written that the poker starts melting in the hand of the demon yeah and i just thought oh that's really that's really cool that's the sort of thing that i could see again in my mind, it plays out in extreme close-up, like a faulty film, and you see yeah. someone's hands gripping this this poker, and it's melting, and it starts drooping. And, it, and I thought that was just really good, cool imagery. So, yeah. yeah. But then they escape, and then they're trying to burn the house down, and it starts raining blood <laughs> out the ceiling, and that's everything. awesome. <laughs> you can't set fire to the sofa because it's saturated with blood. Um, so yeah, it's just it, it all goes a bit mad then. Um, mm. Obviously, they managed to get out. The house burns down, and um, that's it. Then everyone. Yeah. Well, you'd like to say everyone. Well, you've got the whole um, kind of bit beforehand, haven't you? Because they escaped the house the first time round and go to the police station, and the town yeah, all taken yeah. over, and the apocalypse has sort of begun. Like, yeah, yeah. So you'd assume, or I assume, that once they close the gate, essentially, and they defeat that demon, that 
the rest of the bulk would be would be dead then. Yeah. So I think that is so that is obviously your intention. Once they get there and they realise the town is overrun, they go back to to finish the job, if you like. Yeah. And and, and you got this nice there, little um, crossroad moments, haven't you? Like we can run and escape, but it's going to catch up with us, or we can go yeah. and face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they do the right thing in the end, and and they go and they stop it, and they save Claudio as well because he gets yeah. out. So if you don't really know what happens to him, he just wanders off into the woods in the end. I think, uh, and he's like, where's he going? <laughs> Maybe he's going home, I don't know. He's just wandering off into the woods. I assumed he gone. just, like, faded away into nothing. <laughs> like, just walking yeah, into yeah, the just woods. Yeah, walking off into the sunset, and, and away he goes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of an odd ending for him. Perhaps mm. he might have been better off dying in the end and sacrificing himself to mm. to complete this, actually, to kill the demon. He's got to sacrifice himself. Again, that might have been the more traditional narrative way of saying yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. I like the story. idea of him just kind of completing his mission and being like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's gonna, if, he's, if he lives, he's going to have to wait for the uh, for the next gate. To, someone's going to try and next... open another gate somewhere. Exactly. Even if this was the final gate. It's never the final gate. It's like no. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It, it doesn't <laughs> have to be the final, really. There can always no. be some arsehole out there has got some magic key that he's going to put into a wall that's going to yeah, melt exactly. away and reveal something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Fulci himself wouldn't have let the final gate be the final gate. There's always no. potential for a for there be another one. So, yeah. Yeah, I also I spent that whole third act as well, just worried about the dog once again. The dog, yeah, but the dog just sort of disappears as well, yeah. Yeah, the dog's quite a prominent character, and then he just disappears. And Yeah, I kind yeah. of... I got to the end when it said like finished. And I was like, oh, like what happened to Puppy? And then it just does that little like epilogue. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm gonna find out what happens to the dog now. I'll get the same time as we found out what happened to Dan. Yeah, um, you like didn't see that covered. Like no, no. But uh, well, I kind of did, but only because I'm th- again I'm thinking of it beforehand. This is they're they're taking on Lucio Fulci, this dog that they've introduced. It's gonna go mad. It's gonna kill someone. It's, it's yeah. gotta. <laughs> it's gotta. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's gotta. They, they wouldn't have put it there if uh, if it wasn't gonna. So mm. yeah, it was. I guess was Dan was accepted. the only one left. So yeah, <laughs> but then that kind of, I suppose it kind of works as a bit of an open ending because the book actually ends. Claudio's wandered off wherever he's gone. Um, Gillian's taken Annie back to her house. God knows what's going to happen there because. Presumably, you can't just take a child from an orphanage and say this is <laughs> my child now, but that's that's irrelevant. Something's going to happen there, um, but we assume evil is defeated, if you like, and then Smoke still turns up and still kills Dan. Um, yeah. Well, and- that made me think that Gillian and Annie are dead because he turns up at their house. At their house. Well, yeah, possibly. Um, I think the way it's written, though, Smoke wasn't in the house, was he? He comes. No, he comes around from the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably he's just come back from wherever he went at that point in the story when he disappeared. He's just been yeah. roaming around for a while. So he's only just got that's, back. But potentially. That's a nicer way to look at it. <laughs> well, that's the way I look at it. But obviously, yeah. Gillian and Annie weren't there. I suppose the other thing is it's written as an epilogue, but perhaps that isn't in order. That Maybe that didn't happen then. Maybe that happened sort of a bit beforehand. Maybe, mm. although I suppose it is written as being. The following day, so 
I, I don't know. I, I suppose is the yeah. answer. I really don't know. I hope they, they survived. And 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 never made smoke it. did eat them. But... <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you yeah. caught them out in the yard somewhere, they're, they're dead <laughs> off somewhere in the woods or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, smoke yeah. Was, um, was an interesting addition, which uh, I thought would have, uh, well, like I say, I'd already presumed that he was going to kill someone at some point. Um, oh, I suppose the other thing is he could have been more of a heroic character. He could have come in to save the day eventually. Mm. I suppose, again, that might have been more a thing where. Yeah, I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't think he was running, was he? He kind of just went into the woods to kind of attack people, like full on Rambo's. He's described as he's barking at things that they can't see or something like that. Yeah. And obviously, they say that about dogs that they can sense these these mm. otherworldly. Yeah, beings. but no, like you, I was expecting him to turn up when um uh, when Lionel was attacking them. That's yeah. the point where I thought he was going to turn up. But didn't yeah, yeah, and that's day. when yeah. I after that that's when I stopped thinking about the dog until the epilogue like, yeah 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 I think that um, again traditional narrative that might have been the way that, that it would have happened mm. he'd have come in to save the day yeah not not to attack a zombie to attack a human baddie yeah. if you like yeah but um, yeah it, it didn't work out that way so yeah. <laughs> yeah. no but um, yeah Lionel's a bit of a strange character i didn't so that's another thing that happens actually at that point where lionel is i've got lionel tied up and everything's kicking off with the the gate in the basement and uh kurt is killed then isn't he by flying yeah. glass by glass uh, yeah and that's a again it's a very faulty thing to happen and that happens in the beyond as well someone gets killed with flying glass but it's how did that happen who's mm. who's controlled that are we supposed I, i'm not sure Maybe it does explain it. I can't remember. Is, is it lying? No, I think. It, no, I think the house just kind of gets psychic powers at that point and yeah, just that's starts what I was doing its own thing. It's just a completely because random... I think the books potentially out again at that point, and I think the books obviously got a lot of power as well because that's how Brandon died and some of the others. So I think the book was kind of involved with that bit as well. Yeah, that's the uh, the book. What they call it? They're seven seven demons or something isn't it yeah Which, uh, that, that details well. the seven gates yeah that was a, that was another interesting easter egg in that where um dan first finds that book and he's found it and obviously we, we're supposed to assume this is like the book of ibon from um mm. the beyond it's got the pictures of demons in it but he says it's a, a very brief thing he says he remembers reading about a book that was found that was bound in human flesh and inked in human blood so this is obviously this is the Necronomicon from uh, Necronomicon. Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, again, it's just another little Easter egg, and it's, it's full of them. It's a uh, that was another one that I liked. But yeah, I've got to say, I was gonna say I like the fact that um, Dan's kind of haunted by it as well, right? Like clearly he wasn't meant to get away. Like, this no, book's no. got some hold over him. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why after he's this, um, he, they've had this big fight in the the diner that they were in. And then he's gone home and he has the, a nightmare or whatever it is and he can't quite forget about it. That's the last we see of Dan then. Hmm. Um, and you kind of, at that point, I'm expecting him to turn up back at the, the orphanage at some point to try and find out, well, what was this book? And why yeah. has it got this, why why has it got this power about about it? And, yeah. and this is when he's actually going to get killed. But again, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> but that's kind of what I was expecting. But it's always good when um, 
when books don't go in the direction you expect them to. Mm. Um, keeps you on your toes a bit. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I don't know if I myself would be brave enough to do that sometimes. Um, maybe I'll have to try it one day. No, like you, not at this point. No. Like... I mean, I've written something that is kind of very cinematic film based in my Abbey series that is set in a world where all of this could happen. But it's still in my head. It's still very much a traditional narrative, like not letting things go so loose. Just because, yeah, like you said, it's it's too early. Like you've got to be very, very confident and know exactly what you're doing to fuck around with the narrative that much and still have it as a linear narrative. Yeah. Yeah, so um, a book that I want to read very soon is is Judith Sonnet's Hell. Um, yeah. she, that that is, she puts that forth as being basically an, an Italian horror. I film. spoke to her the other day, actually, and she said she forgot to do it, but she was going to call it The Final Gate 2 as one of the alternative titles. Oh, right, really okay. cool. Yeah, because yeah. I saw all the alternative titles. I actually said to her that um, one of them was uh, Magic 5. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've read Magic. <laughs> Magic was a very good book. Um, but I said people are going to ask well, where's <laughs> Magic 2, 3 and 4 sort of thing um, yeah. but yeah but, um, so I do want to read her book there on hell because that, that's from what I understand is going to be very much like this yeah I think it sounds like a similar sort of um, vibe to it that, and I know yeah. she loves all that stuff so. yeah exactly um, so yeah I definitely want to read that um, I did, I've read her book and Torch of the Sinners, which is... Right. She, I haven't read that one. It's on my list because that's the Nazi one, is it? Or no, no it's the no, zombie she, things. It's yeah. zombies, yeah. It's zombies, zombies yeah. that's it, yeah. She based that very much on the film Burial Ground. Right. That's what she, she pushes it towards, saying it's, it's very much like Burial Ground. It's got these um, faulty sort of um, undertones as well, that there's just these kids they go into... Um, I think it might be a monastery or something like that. It was a while ago I read that as well. Um, yeah. To have a party and there's these these people have been sacrificed in the basement or something and they've been trapped in there and they eventually come out as zombies and that kind of thing. And that was very, very sort of Italian as well. Um, but I think that was more structured as a, as a regular sort of narrative it's definitely an interesting genre especially to see it kind of in book form like yeah seen like so many of these films love them i covered a few of them on the channel really early back when i used to do the film stuff and yeah to kind of see different people tackle them as a book it's fascinating yeah yeah absolutely um a lot of my my stuff is many of the the books that i've written have got these kind of filmic sort of connections that I'm thinking well this is my version of um mm. Suspiria or something like that or this is my version of um Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that I've kind of that's kind of in my head that if this was to be made into a film it might look something like that but yeah. still narratively even if one of those films was all over the place I would probably <laughs> very much structure it and be very very yeah. just stick to that line that that everyone kind of expects it's nice yeah. to throw a crowd ball in there sometimes and have someone die that you weren't expecting it but yeah it's 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 a brave thing to do i think it is i've only tried it once with the third story in my not for children book i was just i went for a crazier ending than what it should have been because yeah. i was watching italian horror at the time and i was like fuck it i want to do an italian horror ending but 
that was like one short story within one yeah. book like to do it as a whole book i think is amazing like they've done such a good job with this one yeah well i've got not for children to to read at some point it's in my in my pile now along with <laughs> about a dozen other books so i will get to it eventually and then <laughs> i'll uh, i'll let you know what i think on that then but um yeah yeah um what i was going to say about um another easter egg in the final gate that um was a very brave one to put in there i think um if you go on the in the paperback it's page 84 i believe it is um and i don't know if you noticed it it looks like a very egregious error there's a sign that says right. do not entry and it's written yes. that way in the book and it's yeah. read that way in the, the audiobook as well isn't and I'm it thinking, I think it's in bold as well, isn't it? It is in bold, yeah. So that's yeah, what I mean. That's they make a it's point really of it. Egregious. It's like, yeah. you can't miss that mistake. And anyone who doesn't know, that's that's an error. And it's a really bizarre <laughs> error to have made it in. But obviously, that is an Easter egg to the beyond, where mm. there is a sign that reads, do not entry on one of the, the doors. In the, it's the door to the morgue, actually. That's got a sign that says, do not entry, which was yeah. obviously... Uh, a mistranslation on the Italian's part, <laughs> um, and no one spotted it during production there. So, and they put it in this book. I mean, again, yeah. there's another thing that if I was putting that in there, I probably, I might have that misspelling, but I'd have probably had the character um, yeah. who's read it so so comment on the fact that, oh, why is that spelled wrong or something like that? So the reader <laughs> knows that yeah. this is an intentional mistake, but um, they don't. They just they've just left it as, <laughs> as it is. And, like I say, it's read that way in the audio book. I did wonder if for the audio, would would they change it? So it, it either reads, do not. Oh, yeah, because you no wouldn't see it in bold. You wouldn't see that it's such a kind of a stylistic choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they've clearly done that on purpose. Or if, if the editor has missed it, they've, they've done. It's a very <laughs> poor, poor editing job on that <laughs> one line there, especially since it's in bold. Full, full yeah. caps. <laughs> full caps so, in yeah. bold. Yeah. Um, yeah, an odd one to miss. But. So that's a very brave choice, I think, to, to put an intentional error like that in. Um, I don't know whether Sean edited this himself or who the editor was. I don't think they are credited. But um, I can imagine the editor probably looked at that and, and had to send notes back saying, sorry, you've got a spelling mistake here. <laughs> and then no, no, it's whoever cool. then, whether it was Wes or Lucas, looked at it, probably had to say, actually, that's yeah. meant to be there sort of thing. So Yeah. No, I think it's um, I think it's a very brave book. Um, that I think is very faithful. I think that you know they've done a great job making you know, seventies yeah. Italian flick. Like it's just reads like that. Like yeah, absolutely. Like I say, I, I could read through this book and I can have it play out in my head exactly as as I think they've envisioned it as, as a Fulci film. As as if you converted this into a screenplay and handed it to Lucio Fulci and said, "Film this mm -hmm. for me." I think yeah. that's exactly what plays out in my head. So yeah, I was I literally just reading good. it with the scratches on the screen and, the, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, yeah, like all of the effects and stuff. And yeah, it wasn't that long ago I watched The Beyond again. It was only maybe last year, so that was still quite fresh in my mind reading this. And, yeah, The Beyond is a film that I must probably I watch it two or three times a year. Probably it's, it's really, terrible, yeah. really. I'm the sort of person that I've got I've got Netflix, I've got Amazon Prime, I've got Shudder. Um, I've got Disney Plus. I could flick through all of them, and there's loads of new films. I know I need to catch up on these. I need to watch this. This film was released a couple of years ago. It's actually supposed to be quite good. 
I'm not going to watch that. I'm going to watch The Beyond <laughs> again, or I'm going to watch Zombie Flesh Eaters, or I'm going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. I always go back to those old films. Just, I don't know, it's kind of like comfort food, I suppose, really. Is yeah. I know what I'm getting, and I really like it, so that's where I'm, I'm sticking with that. I'm not going to risk yeah. anything new. Cause, and they were films back then. They had the film language, the film look, you know, cinematic. It's just... Yeah, I don't yeah. think you can beat those experiences, but also those films just can't be made now, right? Like, barring something like, um, uh, what was it, the sadness? Like, you're not coming close to anything like that now. Like, no, I mean, obviously, Evil Dead Rise has just come out, which um, I definitely want to go and check that out because um, I really liked the the remake of Evil Dead. I like I like the fact that that just went completely balls to the wall. Mm. That was just super gory, um, and I assume that Evil Dead Rise is going to be similar to that um but no typically they're very they're just very safe aren't they but that's the way yeah. cinema has been for a for a while like a few years now, yeah, yeah in any genre obviously <laughs> there's so much there's not so much new content new ips being created nowadays obviously the studios know that they know what sells it's remakes it's it's reboots it's reimaginings or it's sequels and legacy mm. sequels and that kind of thing which they're either hit and miss, really. I mean, most of them are a miss to me. I know lots of people enjoyed the new Halloween trilogy, but it wasn't for me at all. No, I, I liked the first that. one. I thought was really good, and then the other two lost me. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, even the first one, I wasn't so keen on, to be honest. But it was okay. It's certainly the best of the trilogy. But mm. um, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends just weren't for me. Um, yeah. But But this is, I guess, a risk that it's not a risk to the studios because they know they're still going to make the money. Um, no. Quite how much they're going to make, they don't know. If word of mouth is good, it might absolutely blow up and they'll make a fortune on it. But they're always going to they're always going to break even on things like that. So that's why they stick to that kind of thing. Um, mm. Yeah, it's obviously indie independent filmmakers are making more original content, but it's just it's difficult to get hold of. And then. You've got this kind of cycle in at the moment with A24 making all mm. their elevated horror and that kind of thing, which is some of those films are great, but I, I like my exploitation films. I like my gore. <laughs> I like that kind of thing. Um, I've enjoyed some of these elevated horrors um, and it's, it's a nice change of pace. But making these really gory slashes anymore. You don't see many slashes unless it's a, no. a sequel or a remake sort of thing. And, and, no, yeah. you've got to go back to the 70s and 80s for the good stuff. Exactly, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's why that's all I tend to do. Is I mean, yeah. what did I watch on? Oh, I watched on Shudder the other day, um, Kids vs. Aliens, which is a new film that's on there, um, right. which was made by, I can't remember their name. Um, they did a, seg a very similar segment in one of the VHS films, the found footage yeah, VHS anthologies. Yeah. Um, that was quite good. Um all practical effects and that kind of thing. You got people running around in what looked like really sort of quite cheap uh, masks and that kind of thing. And it was that was nice. It was nice to see these practical effects. I will take um, cheap masks over CGI every single day of the week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's one of the things that really um, I didn't like about the It films, the most recent It films, was all the CGI that was in those. Mm. Um, I thought the first part of that, the first It. Um, chapter one, if you like, was was quite good. I didn't particularly like the second part, but still, a lot of the things that they did with, with CGI in those films, I feel like they could have done practically, practically. and some of the CGI wasn't yeah. great. And it, that that 
pulls you out of the film to me. Um, yeah, it's why I go back. Yeah, it's why I go back to all these old stuff. It's why I go back to all the old stuff. Yeah. Why I watch seventies, eighties horrors or eighties, early nineties kind of Hong Kong action films. I know yeah, everything's yeah. practical. I know everything was done yeah. properly in so, camera, and you know that's just the way I always liked it. Yeah, and that's it. Even you look at something like I say, the Beyond. Some of the effects in that aren't brilliant, but I'd much rather see that than than yeah, see I mean, you Beyond, like Winnie's, like going through the gloopy war and stuff down in the basement like to me that just feels like cinema like you can't do yeah, that yeah. cgi like it's you're not going to have that same squidgy effect like it's just no, no. you can't well, replicate it, it yeah at the very start of the beyond where they've um, they've nailed strike to the wall i think you get that yeah. there's one effect there where they bang a, a stake through his hand or that was that's a great that's a really good effect that is because it's clearly the guy's got his hands sticking out. He's got his hands tucked in. Yeah. But, but it's a, a fake hand that's just pumping out all this blood. It's yeah. great. But then they throw a quick lime on him to melt him or, or to whatever they're, they're trying to do to him. And suddenly, it's basically a, it's a mannequin. You can see it's just a shot mannequin that's got this yeah. white foam dripping off it. It's just like, it's a shame. They didn't quite need to do that. I think they could have had oh, the actor there. I love but, it. To be honest, I love it. If it looks that bad, it just adds it to me. Like... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You you know it's fake, but it's fine. Like I say, it's the spiders in that spider scene as well. They've got yeah. a couple of real tarantulas that I guess are supposed to add to the effect. But those plastic ones, you can see they're, they're, it's almost like they're joined together on um, one bar, so they're kind of moving it's at the same time. And, that. yeah. and it's just like, it's quite clearly fake, but it's fucking brilliant. Love yeah, it. I, I love it. love that sort of thing. So. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. All uh, right. Anything else for the final gate? Um, um, let's have a quick look at my notes. I don't think so. I think we've covered pretty much all of it. I suppose the only other thing to mention is that, um, although it's very much a Fulci influenced book, they actually dedicate it to Dardano Sacchetti, the screenwriter. And he's mm. the same screenwriter who wrote um, all of those Fulci films he did. Everything from um, zombie flesh eaters all the way through to New York Ripper, I think. Um, right. So they they dedicated it to him rather than Fulci, um, because again, obviously Fulci is the is the filmmaker, is the genius behind what you see on the screen. But without the screenwriter, I guess there is nothing. So they dedicated yeah. it to him. And the most sort of interesting part about that, I suppose, um, is the fact that he also wrote um, Lombardo Barber's Demons. Yeah, which um, they've used, Luke's, well, Ryan's used before, didn't they? And, um, Luke's and Ryan, Lucas, yeah. yeah, in Pandemonium. Yeah, yeah. so that, that kind of makes me think, okay, so Lucas has been involved in the final gate and he's been in Pandemonium. Is this, is this, is he the sort of the brainchild here? Is he the one yeah. that's, this is his thing that he's, he's taking these films and he's adding, because obviously Pandemonium is a great book and that, like the final gate, um, references these other demon attacks that have happened in in a theatre, mm. in an apartment block, in a church. Well, yeah, Pandemonium's kind of a final gate, right? Like, they're, they're opening something, aren't they? Like, yeah. I remember I rightly, the wrestlers yeah, guarding like... something for them to suck everything through and all the demons come pouring out of it. Yeah, so obviously that is a, is a um, like they've taken demons as the influence there. Yeah. But demons in is very much, very much like 40 types of films. And um, so that was, 
produced by um, Dario Argento and directed by Lamberto Barba. Again, screenwriter. These are very similar, similar sorts of films. Yeah, so they yeah. could go hand in hand. There's very similar, similar books. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like there was a little bit of Nightmare City amongst all of this as well. That snuck in there, I thought. Yeah, I mean, any of these uh, zombie films from that sort of era get mm. get some sort of a reference in there. Obviously, the, the zombies in Nightmare City; these are the first um, the first running zombies, Smart aren't ones, they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Start using tools and run and shit. Yeah, exactly. So again, in the final game, they're not written as these fast zombies; they are these no. slow shambling zombies but it did make me think as i said with robert at the start get stabbed in the neck was that a zombie that did that are these mm. zombies that are that are more cognitive if you like they've got a bit of brain function about them um i don't think they are in the end i think they are just you know these shambling zombies that are just mm. corpses that, that are pretty much rotten away or whatever but um yeah there's so many influences on these this this book uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's just really fun to to read through and try and spot all of those influences. Yeah, there's definitely a playlist by the end of it, isn't it? You're like, right, now oh, you yeah. need to watch the following films. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I did think to myself um, before we even spoke about it, I, I, I ought to watch these films again. But to be honest, I watched The Beyond probably less than a month ago. See, I probably watched. Six, <laughs> I think I've watched them all actually. In fact, I have. I've watched them all within the last month probably. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so and there's sorts of films that I could just, like I say, I must watch them two or three times a year at least. Um, so yeah, I didn't really need any refreshers on those. <laughs> actually, I've seen them enough to to know, and I I didn't know whether I'd have chance or whether it'd be worthwhile. But I brought some of my stuff. I mean, I've got VHS tapes of of these films, and nice. I've got my DVDs. I've got I've got this bloody book here, Beyond Terror by Stephen Thrower big massive tome yeah. about Fulci's films it's I'm a big Fulci fan so um <laughs> these are the, the films so this book was written for you really yeah yeah exactly exactly that's what I thought because this, this was I first read this early days of sort of getting into splatterpunk really I suppose and indie horror um before this I'd only really ever read the likes of Matt Shaw and Ed Lee and Rath James White these, these sort of bigger names that are mm. yes they're still indies and a lot of obviously Matt's all self-published and these you have these dead eye things but I wasn't so much into it at that point and as I started finding out more about indie horror and that there was so much stuff out there when um the final gate sort of came on my radar this is a fortune book it was like I'll, I'll have that thank you very much yeah, yeah. you get those yeah. books occasionally don't you where you're just like how do I not know this exists yeah, exactly. Yeah, I read um, what was it um, Stephen Cohenesky's um, Slash Fiver? I was like, why don't I know a book that's like Slasher with Running Man? Like, how do I have not heard it? of that? That is new. A couple of years, a couple of years now. Slash yeah, Fiver? is it? Yeah, well, I yeah. assumed it was quite new. So, yeah, well, I hadn't heard of it until recently. So, it's yeah. certainly on my radar to read at some point. Yeah, no, it's just one of those books where I'm like, why, why did no one tell me this is a thing? Like, oh, right, okay. I read that. No, I thought it was new. So like, again, I've only recently heard about it. So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely one that I want to want to read. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty out there. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So thank you very much for um, having a chat with me about the final yeah, day and for on. making me read it. It's been on my to read list for like months now. So this is a good yeah, reason well, to finally pick it up. 
I'm glad I got to reread it and, and go through the audio book instead because um, mm. yeah, the the audio was very good. Definitely worth a listen if anyone ever if, if they're thinking about He's this a book. Busy guy that Sean guy. Every time I see his updates, I'm like, dude, where do you get all of this time? Like, oh, I know. Yeah, I've so I've got a few. Talk about being in demand, like yeah. Yeah, I've got a few Encyclopocalypse books um, on my Kindle to still be read. I've got some of them. I've got a couple of books um, that put out by Robert Essig. I've got his books on my Kindle to read. And um, oh, I read um, Baby Fights. Was that him? I read that the other that's day. That's Robert Essig. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah. That wasn't one of Encyclopocalypse books. They did. They put yeah. out his um, Mojave Mud Caves, I think, was one that they put out and um, something else. Not sure. Um, did they do the? I don't. I've come. Did they do the audio for um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, or was that just come out as a book? Uh, I think there's an audio of it now. I, think um, I don't well, know, and and if there is, that's one that I intend to do the audio. Yeah. Of, certainly. <laughs> um, just because. Well, I don't know. I might. I might buy the paperback of it. Um, Jeff Strand's a great writer, so mm. um, yeah, definitely need to to do that one way or another. But I've got a load of um, of novelizations, and obviously Brian Berry's doing one now. Damien's Damien Casey's doing one. Um, mm -hmm. Judith is going to be. Yeah, doing one. I know which one Judith is as well. That's oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> no, I think I'm not allowed to say. So no, I don't. No, no. no, he <laughs> says announcement on Friday. So. Oh, we're yeah. telling this podcast out. People will know. But. <laughs> oh, they should do. Yeah, but don't, yeah. don't spoil it for me either. No, so. no, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah um yeah so that's great I, I definitely need to check out some of their more of their books mm. um be it in audio format or or in paperback i don't know if sean only does um narration for their books for his own sure, apocalypse yeah. books or but i'm sure there are other encyclopocalypse books um audio that have been done by other people so they must be yeah. no if sean's done um I'm sure he's done some stuff for... Uh, is it Deadite who did the Splatter Westerns? Deathhead. Deathhead, yeah. I'm sure he's done some stuff for Deathhead. I think he done... Possibly he done Last Ravenger recently. Right, okay. I remember now, but I don't really listen to the audio. But actually, he did, Brian's, he did Brian's Snow Shark, actually. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, so that's obviously... That's not been published by um, Apocalypse. So, yeah, no. he's, he's obviously freelance. If anyone wants him, he's, uh, he's very good. I can, I can attest to that, so, yeah. Yeah. He's good. But, yeah. He's someone I might have to try and get on the show at some point. Yeah, try. He's, yeah. Like I say, he's a busy man, though. But, yeah. <laughs> he is busy. He certainly seems busy. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. They're awesome. Like I said, thank you very much for coming along and having yeah, a chat about all of this me. and for sharing your um, short story as well. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. No problem. And, yeah, I think, I think we made everyone go out to read uh, Final Gate and watch a whole ton of old school Italian flicks. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. We should accomplish, if so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I shall, I, I'm talking about, like I say, I've only just watched them again um, in the past month or so, but I shall probably go and watch some of them again myself <laughs> anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Thank you very much for coming along, dude. No, thank you. All right. See you all later. Cheers. Bye. Bye.